Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. With each message and series from Pastors Tim and Nathan, we hope you'll discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. All right, welcome to Liquid, everybody. Hey, I'm Pastor Tim. We got to celebrate what God did this week. Church, I am very excited to report the Holy Spirit is on the move as our campuses reopen. Garwood is reopening today, Somerset on August 8th. Let's send some love to our live locations. Come on. Welcome, guys. We're thrilled to have you guys. Hey, this week in Princeton, it was thrilling to watch people pour into Princeton Meadow Church for our first ever party with the pastors. You can get a look at that. It was awesome. We had Pastor Aaron up there. It was overwhelming to see so many of you, families with little kids, singles, seniors, all kind of lifting up the name of Jesus together. Um, D-Rock leading worship. It was very moving as Princeton Meadow, they voted to become our new campus in Mercer County. And one of the longtime members said, Tim, we haven't had this many people in the building in over six years. And praise God, dozens of people signed up to serve on a dream team for our grand opening this fall. Remember, if you are new or you're just returning to church, now's the time, perfect time to join a dream team. Use your hospitality gifts to, to serve coffee or be a buddy to a special needs child or mentor a student or, or help with media or production, lights, camera, action. We got a ton of roles and we'd love to get you involved. So just see at your campus pastor or staff today. And I want to thank everybody, by the way, who came out yesterday to Family Work Day at Princeton. Uh, people from all seven of our campuses came to, to clean and paint classrooms, pull weed mulch, beautify our new building, uh, all in time for our grand opening after Labor Day. So pretty exciting. Can we just thank God for all he's doing? He's on the move. We're coming back spiritually stronger than ever. I can feel it for sure. Well, listen, today we're in week three of our series, Mastermind, Change Your Thinking, Change Your Life. I don't know why I just got Southern there, but change your thinking, man. It's all about the battlefield of your brain and how God's truth can actually set you free from negative thoughts. You ever have perseverative thinking, like just negative thoughts eating at your mind? Toxic thinking. And what we're doing is replacing the enemy's lies with the truth of God's word. Now, this is based on the, not only the Bible, but a book that I've been recommending to you. It's called Winning the War on Worry by Craig Rochelle. To me, it's been very fascinating because it combines science and scripture together. Because if you look at the chemistry of the human brain, what you'll discover is that your thoughts are incredibly powerful. What your creator God did is he wired the human mind in such a way that what you believe to be true in your brain impacts the way you behave in the world for better or for worse. The Bible actually says there is often a war going on in your head and most of life's battles are won or lost in your mind because what comes into your mind, it just comes out in your life. And the reality is this, you simply can't have a positive faith-filled life when you have a negative fear-filled mind. So this summer, we're just taking time to think about what we think about, <laughs> and we're training our brain with God's truth. How did you do on this week's memory verse? Did you guys use your scripture tattoo to memorize Philippians 4a? I'm putting it up on the screen here. If you're new, it just shows the first letter of each word in our memory verse. And let's see if we can say it together, church. You guys ready? Here we go. Ready? Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or 
praiseworthy. Think about such things. Give yourselves a hand, man. That's awesome. You got, you're on your way, man. You're renewing your mind with God's word, right? What are we learning? Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. It's not enough to just say no. You have to replace. We're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Like Pastor Kyra taught us last week, if you don't get out of the rut road and dig a trench of God's truth, if you don't change the thoughts you think, you will never change the way you live. Which is why the Apostle Paul, our original mastermind, says you got to fight. You got to fight back to win this war in your head. Now, I've already introduced you to this week's memory verse. It comes from 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. I shared this with you in the first week. This week is the week we're going to memorize it. And I want to say this together, a big, loud voice. Let's, let's use your best, all of our campuses, even if you're online. Here we go. Ready? Paul says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have what? They have divine power to demolish. That's crush, to vanquish, obliterate, destroy strongholds. What's a stronghold? It's when the devil takes you by deception. He has you locked up by a lie. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And what do we do? We take captive every thought. Everybody say, take captive. Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Jesus Christ. In other words, any thought that you have that is inconsistent with the truth of God's word about who he is, about who you are in Christ, Paul says you got to capture it and take it prisoner. In other words, as a Christian, you are not captive to your thoughts. Rather, you take your thoughts captive to Christ. And this is a very powerful verse to memorize in your mind. So we're going to give you a, a new scripture tattoo uh, for week three on the way out. I'll show you a picture of it here. Now, next week is our last week of the series. So just remember, I said, if you memorize all four verses, we're going to have some good humor ice cream. All right. The kids are all excited, but so are some of the, the dads. All right. That's awesome. That's fun. Uh, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, um, we're not just memorizing scripture. We're taking time to understand the power of the brain, the, the incredibly complex microprocessor that God hardwired into your head. It's truly amazing. Uh, for centuries, uh, people thought that the brain was essentially fixed after adolescence, like somehow it, it stopped growing and developing. And I understand because if you've met teenagers, it seems like that, right? But, but, but now we know the brain actually continues to evolve and develop something that we call neural pathways. There you see them right now. What's a neural pathway? Every time you think a thought, you're creating a pathway in your mind. And here's the, here's the secret. The more often you think that thought, the easier it is to think that thought again. You're creating a path. Now, that's very, very good news if you are thinking on things that are true and noble and pure and lovely and excellent, praiseworthy, like Paul says. The problem is a lot of us got stinking thinking. We're thinking thoughts that are not true, that are full of fear, not faith. Or they cause you get up and you start spiraling and worrying and they cripple us mentally. Well, I want to introduce an idea today that uh, Pastor Craig taught me in his book. And it's this idea of a cognitive bias. Can you say that's a fancy word? Cognitive bias. You could call it a mental filter through which you see the world. Now, what is a cognitive bias? Simple definition is it's a, a mistake in reasoning based on your personal experience or your personal preference. In other words, it's a mistake in reasoning. How you view life or people 
because it's not based in reality. It's based on what only you have experienced or what you prefer. Um, we could call that a mental filter through which you see the world. In other words, you probably grew up in a certain context, and um, let's say you had something really bad happen to you. And a lot of times, you'll have a mental filter. Your brain will carve that out so that you view situations in a certain way, but it's not always accurate. For example, there are some of you here who tragically, uh, maybe you grew up around um, very abusive men. Maybe a dad or an uncle uh, betrayed uh, your innocence or confidence or your boyfriend or ex was abusive. And because you were hurt and abused by men, now a lot of times when you encounter other men, because of what you went through, your filter may cause you to be very just kind of wary or cautious around them, even though the majority of men aren't hurtful. But that's a cognitive bias. It's a filter now that shapes how you interpret the world around you. Or maybe you grew up with parents who were like critical of wealthy people. You're like, rich people are bad. Never trust them. You know, they're, they're all evil. They're all greedy. But then you find yourself later in life, you start succeeding uh, financially, and then all of a sudden you start feeling like guilty or ashamed, even though you, you have no real reason to be, because your filter shapes how you see it. It's like putting on a pair of glasses that changes how you see the world. So last week, my wife Colleen had to go to uh, the eye doctor uh, to get a new set of contacts, okay? She typically wears like these, these, these glasses, but she wanted to get these special custom contacts that allow her to see perfectly up close, razor sharp, but then the other contact allows her to see far away. And I was like, wait, how does that work, honey? Like, like you, you have to close like one eye and you squint like a pirate, you know? Like, and so they put drops in her eye and she comes home with these, you know, big dilated pupils. And at first things are actually a, lip, a little bit blurry. It was our anniversary and like she went to actually kiss me on the lips and she ended up kissing me right in the eye. <laughs> and kind of licking my nose. I actually liked it. She, could, <laughs> she couldn't see for a full 48 hours. And, and I was like, how, honey, how long is this going to last? I don't want you bumping in the wall and stuff. And she said, no, no, no. She goes, it's amazing, Tim. The doctor said each eye has a different filter on it. And so over time, watch this, my brain will train itself to merge the two lenses. And together, the brain will create one new filter for my vision. And it'll actually train itself so I'll be able to see clearly up close and far away regardless of distance. Pretty cool, right? Like, like it's amazing, right? Science. The lenses you wear change the way you see the world. Which is why two different people can respond to the exact same situation in completely opposite ways. Have you ever seen this? It's not the facts that are different. It's the filter they see through. For example, you might be at your workplace and your boss maybe gives... Uh, you the exact same feedback in the exact same way. Let's say he gives it to two different people. But the way they receive that feedback is very, very different. One person gets offended. Who, why is she telling me this? You know, you don't know how valuable I am. She's always on my case. I bet she's trying to fire me, right? They get totally defensive. But the other person gets the same exact feedback, but because they have a different filter, they say, oh man, thank, thanks so much, Clint. That was super helpful. Thank you for taking the time to invest in me. Clear, clearly, Clint sees potential in me. Th thanks for the feedback what gives. It's not the facts that are different. It's the filter, how you see the situation, how you react in relationship. It happens here at church all the time. I hear these stories. Two peop different people will walk in together into our church, and one walks in convinced, saying, all Christians are hypocrites. I already hate this place, okay? This place is stupid. They're only after my money. Look at all these flat screen TVs. And, <laughs> and, and the person who walked in with them, they sit through the exact same service, and they say, this place is amazing, 
the people here are so loving. They're not like perfect, but they're like authentic. They're real. And that music, I don't even know what that was, but like I, I sense the presence of God. What's the difference? It's not the facts that are different. It's the filter. You guys know this. You saw it in sharp relief over the past 18 months. Depending on what news feed you read or you watch, some of you may be convinced that the vaccine is the answer to the world's problems. Everybody needs the vaccine. But if you read a different news source, you may be a little bit hesitant because you're like, no, actually, it's a government conspiracy. And I think it even may have a chip in it that the Antichrist will use to track you. Uh, my wife was like, well, as long as I can know where you are, Tim, that's fine. That's fine with me. H how is that possible? It's not the facts that are different. It's the filter, the lens through which you interpret reality. Here's the problem. It's very easy to point out cognitive bias in other people, but it's very hard to see in yourself. Why is this important? Because in scripture, the filter you use to live out your faith has a huge impact in what you experience. For example, there's a famous story in the Old Testament. I'll turn to it. It's in the book of Numbers. When Moses sends out 12 spies to explore the promised land, he says, I want you to go tell me what it's like. And 10 of the 12 spies, they come back and they actually report this. They said, oh, no, 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 we can't, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. The land we explored, it devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. And then look at this. The one guy steps up and he goes, yeah, man, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. In other words, 10 of the people of God go out, and they come back with a bad report, watch this, about the land that God promised to give them. It's dangerous. It's overwhelming. Very bad idea. Moses, we are not doing this. But two of the men, Joshua and Caleb, watch this, they saw the exact same thing. But because they had a filter of faith, they came to this conclusion and said, oh, yeah, man, the land we passed through and explored is, what, exceedingly good. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He's going to give it to us. So do not be afraid of the people of the land because, man, we are going to devour them. Okay, bro? Their protection is gone, but the Lord's with us. Don't be afraid with them. Caleb then just starts preaching. He's like, guys, we can totally do this. Are you kidding me? God promised us this land. My God is good. And because he's with us, our enemies aren't going to kick our butts. We're going to devour them. Let us enter the promised land. Now, how is that? Twelve people went out, saw the exact same thing, and came to totally different conclusions. It wasn't the facts that were different. What was it? It was their filter. Everybody say filter. It's the filter. Type in the chat. It's the filter. It held the majority of God's people, watch this, from stepping into their divine destiny. They actually died on the doorstep of their destiny, dead in the desert, because they had a faulty filter or way of viewing the world. See, I don't think it's ever been before, but in, in my lifetime, but in 2021, it's never been easier to have a negative, fear-filled frame of mind than the kind that is filled with faith and takes captive every thought and makes it obedient to Christ. And so today I want to teach you a tool that's called reframing. Can everybody say that with me? Reframing. What we're going to do is we are going to pick a different frame. We are going to reframe our circumstances or we're going to reframe a relationship. What reframing is, is a different way of looking at a situation or a relationship that actually changes its meaning. It simply 
looking at a different way that, that you look at it, and you're saying, you know, this actually has a different meaning. What I thought was negative, actually, God is using positive. And I'll give you an example of how you're going to be able to change your frame of mind, right? You ever have that? Oh, she's got a bad frame of mind. I'll give you an example. Let's say you wake up uh, tomorrow. It's Monday, people. I'm just telling you. Uh, and Monday, you're like, oh, I've been dreading this. It's going to be a jam-packed day. You know your schedule is going to be busy bell to bell. Watch this. If you frame it negatively, you might say, oh, look at this, man. It's going to be a terrible Monday. I already, I already have too much to do. The people at work drive me nuts. I work with total morons. My job sucks. Life is hard. I don't know how I'm going to get everything done. You wake up, you frame it negatively. Guess what? I guarantee you will be overwhelmed before you brush your teeth, okay? You are almost guaranteed you are going to have a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day because when you got up, you framed it with a negative frame of mind. But now watch. If you take the exact same situation and you reframe it with a more positive, faith-filled perspective, you may wake up, same schedule, and you may say, no, you know, I've got a lot on my plate today, but I get to experience God's strength where I'm weak today. I am so thankful my daddy God is with me. Abba has already given me everything I need to accomplish everything he's called me to do. I am thankful for my job. And yeah, even though some people drive me crazy, they're pretty good teammates. I actually believe the, the best about them. And, and, I, and I'm going to grind it out with God's help today. We're going to have a positive, productive day. See, it's not the facts that change. It's how you frame it. Are you looking for the goodness of God in your day? Or are you just focusing on the negative? Because we live in a broken world. And this is the big idea. You can't control what happens to you, can you? But you can control how you frame it. Can you say that with me? I'll put it up on the screen. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you what? Frame it. Let me slow this down and ask you to think about your life right now. I want you to think about the expectations you have in your mind. I wonder how many of you here today thought at this point in your life you'd be doing something like epic, like something incredible, but actually you're experiencing the opposite right now. Maybe you thought, man, by this age, I thought I'd be doing such and such or achieve this, or I'd, I'd be traveling here or in a relationship with this kind of person. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I, I, maybe you dreamed most of your life about having a great marriage and you prepared for it, you prayed for it, you stayed pure, you married your, your, your sweetheart, and then years later, you woke up brokenhearted and divorced. You're like, man, what, what the heck happened? God, God, where are you? Bad circumstances? Maybe God wasn't in this. Or maybe you went to college and you studied and you got the degree and you felt prepared to do something world-changing, something meaningful. But now instead of being in a job that you love, you're in an unrelated occupation that actually seems like it's pretty beneath your education and ability. And you're like, how, how in the world did I get here? Maybe you thought at this point in your life, again, you'd start a business or have a ministry or you'd just be making a difference, but you find yourself waking up, I just am not where I wanted to be. And it weighs heavy on your mind. It colors your outlook on life. If you ever wake up thinking, this, this picture, this isn't what I prayed for, God. It's not what I wanted. The Apostle Paul knows exactly how you feel. In fact, if you know Paul's story, you know that Paul had a dream. Paul actually wanted to go to Rome. Anybody want to visit Rome someday? The Eternal City? I love it. One of my very favorite visiting Italy. That was Paul's dream, but it wasn't for tourism. He actually said, God, would you let me go to Rome so I can preach the gospel, spread the news about Jesus? 
because Paul knew if I reach the leaders in Rome with the message of Jesus, from there the gospel will spread out across the whole world. So Paul had this amazing dream. He had a, a godly dream and prayer for his life. Well, if you know anything about Scripture, Paul eventually did get to Rome, uh, but not exactly how he expected. <laughs> First, he was arrested, <laughs> and then the ship that he was on actually sank. <laughs> he was stranded on an island, <laughs> eventually washes up on shore, gets bitten by a snake, and then when he finally arrives in Rome, it's not as a preacher. Paul arrives as a prisoner in chains. He's locked up under house arrest chained to a Roman guard in the emperor's palace, awaiting execution. Hey, you got your dream. Your dreams came true, bro. <laughs> what, what Paul wanted for his life didn't happen how he expected. So how did Paul frame his situation? Let me show you what Paul might have said. This is Philippians chapter 1. I put this in your notes. Paul wrote a letter to his friends while he was in jail, and he said this. He began this way. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, and I'm just going to pause there, leave this up. How do you think he's going to describe these circumstances? How is Paul going to frame this in his mind? Is this positive or is it negative? Now, let me just, look, look Paul had every right. He could have chosen a very, very negative frame for his mind. And if he did, he might have said something like this. Philippians 1, this is the NWV version, okay? Paul said, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really sucks. And as a result of the hell that I've been through, I'm quitting small group and never going back to this stupid church again. <laughs> right? What, you're like, what, what version is this? The NWV. It's the new whiner's version. Okay? Paul might have very well said this. And by, by the way, if you're new to church, you're like, where did I get a copy of this? Is that in the app? There's no, no NWV, but it sounds like it, right? It would have been very easy for Paul to negatively frame his circumstances in his mind. But watch what Paul really wrote in Philippians 1. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually said together, serve to advance the gospel. He's like, this is actually good news. And you're like, what? How's that possible? He says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everybody else that I am in chains for Christ. Paul's like, I get it. You're all looking at it. I'm in chains. I'm in prison very, very bad. But guess what? I'm in chains for Christ and the gospel's advancing. What? How does Paul have a positive frame of mind? Because Paul says, look at me. I am chained to a Roman guard in the emperor's palace. And they would do it on eight-hour shifts. So he was chained to one guy for eight hours and another guy for eight hours. He goes, I get to preach to a captive audience for eight hours straight. <laughs> Who's the real prisoner here? Every eight hours, I get a, a new guard with influence to sit and listen to my eight-hour sermon on how good my Jesus is. See, you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. The bad thing that's actually happened is serving to advance the gospel. He continues in verse 14, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters they become confident in the Lord, and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Isn't that awesome? What everybody else saw as very, very bad, I look through God's frame of goodness, and I see that the Holy Spirit is still active. God's still working in my life. It's empowering other people in their faith. There's a reason we call Paul a mastermind. What's he teaching you? You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. So here's a question for you. What's your frame of mind? 
by default. Like right now, generally you're waking up in conversations with your kids. Do you have a negative, critical, discouraging frame of mind that actually tends to focus whoom, right on the failures, the fears, the bad stuff? How healthy is your frame of mind? Is it more negative and fear-filled? Or do you actually change your frame of mind the way Paul did? With the time I have left, I want to give you three practical steps you can take to reframe the relationships in your life and some of the circumstances that are challenging. Because here's the truth. If you renew your mind, I'm just telling you, man, if you change your frame, God can change your whole life. And if you're taking notes, the first step is this. When things are really, really bad, let me encourage you to occasionally thank God for what didn't happen. Everyone say that. Thank God for what didn't happen. We always thank God for answered prayers, but sometimes unanswered prayers we need to thank him for. Maybe something unpleasant um, did happen to you, and uh, the reality is there's a lot of worse things that could have occurred that didn't. Uh, I'll give you an example of this. Um, Greg told the story of a 20-year-old girl who came to her parents, and she said, Mom, Dad, I've got really bad news. I need you to sit down. It's hard to tell you this. She said, I just want you guys to stay calm, but this is bad. Um, I went out to a bar, and I met a guy. We drank too much, and he came back to my apartment, and we hooked up, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this now, but I'm pregnant. That's the bad news. She said, but the good news is that his probation will be over in a year. And he's starting to look for a job, and, and once he's out of rehab, he said that maybe he'll marry me, um, but since we can't afford to get married right now, he's just going to move in with us right now. And, and just kind of let it hang there for a moment for her parents. And then she said, actually, none of that's true. The truth is I got a D on my chemistry final, and I just wanted you to know it could be a whole lot worse, right? <laughs> there, there may be a time when some of you maybe ought to thank God for what didn't happen in your kid's life, right? I, I look at that in my own life, and personally, I am so thankful for many things God didn't do in my life that I prayed for. Um, I remember during my senior year in high school, um, I wanted to apply to Princeton University, uh, an Ivy League school. I was very excited about that. I did pretty decent in school. And so my guidance counselor said, Tim, I actually think you have a shot. And uh, so I worked really, really hard on my personal essay. And I applied to Princeton. And I remember praying, God, I just pray you'll help me get in. I don't know if I'll actually go. But man, I'd love to have to consider it as an option. And so I sent in my application. We prayed over, prayed my parents. And uh, back in the day, by the way, the admissions department, here's how you found out, they would send you a letter in the mail, okay? Nowadays, right, kids find out whether they're accepted or rejected online. Um, but back in those days, you found out by getting actually a letter in the mail. And what happened is if you got a thick envelope, right, it was a good sign because that had all your admissions material. But if you got a ooh, little thin envelope, it's like probably a letter of rejection. And uh, I remember coming home from school, and I saw the mail on the kitchen counter, and there was this thin envelope, and I rushed over, I opened it, I took it out, and I read it, Dear Timothy, thank you for your interest in Princeton University, but we regret to inform you that, and I didn't even read the rest of it. I literally crumpled it up, ripped it up, and threw it in the garbage, and went to my room, because I was so bummed by that rejection letter. I applied and was denied. <laughs> But because I was denied by Princeton, I ended up eventually applying to Wheaton College, which is a wonderful Christian school out in Chicago, where I not only got in, but I had to take a bunch of Bible and theology classes. Who would ever bother with that? Uh, it actually grew my heart for Christ, a vision for ministry. And then check this out. I met this cute girl from New York City named Colleen. 
who I ended up marrying. And because we took Bible classes and did ministry at Wheaton together, we caught this vision for ministry. And we started this little experimental church called Liquid that just sort of grew and grew and God provided buildings and, and we loved it. And now we have a, a brand new campus. And where is it? Oh, 10 minutes from Princeton University. Yeah, looking back, I thank God for what he didn't do in my life. Because if I had went to Princeton first, I never would have met my wife. And you and I wouldn't be sitting in this church right now. Let me tell you the truth. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. That's not the Bible, by the way. That's Garth Brooks. Just some country music fans, just they're like, I, I, I love that verse. When, see, when you, watch this, when you look through your limited frame, you only see a frozen moment in time. But if you will zoom out and let God frame your life with a gospel lens, you will discover God's working his good, pleasing, and perfect will in your life, even when you don't understand it or can't see what he's doing at the moment. Why is that? In Isaiah 55, God explains. He says, well, here's why. Well, my thoughts ain't your thoughts. <laughs> Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens, watch this, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts, whoo, they're higher than your thoughts. As a Christian, you have to trust that God is working even when things don't turn out the way you hoped. I want you to think about some of the prayers you prayed that God hasn't answered. Instead of feeling like a victim of random chance in a chaotic world, it's an invitation to actually let go and surrender control, and I'm going to place trust in a good God who's working everything for my good and his glory. Like how many of you, show of hands, how many of you would agree God knows more than you do? Everybody's hand should be up on this one. I'm just telling, okay? You know what that means? There will be times when you ask for things that he knows aren't best for you. And in his goodness, he'll actually say no to that request because he's like, I got something better in mind. When I was 18, I was convinced I need to go to Princeton and become an author. And because God was gracious enough to say no, so I could go to Wheaton and become your pastor, amen? First step to your change your frame of mind. You thank God for what didn't happen. The second thing you do is you practice a skill called pre-framing. Can you say that with me? Pre-framing. It's deciding in advance how you're gonna frame a situation before you enter it. Now, why does this matter? Because your thoughts often frame and shape how you feel about a certain situation. So if you go into, you know, a situation with a negative frame and say, man, this, this thing's going to be terrible, horrible, awful, no good. Well, that's pretty much exactly how you're going to feel. And you will spiral pretty quick. So instead, you've got to practice pre-framing with a positive, godly frame. What's that look like? Give me an example. Um, let's say you have a doctor's appointment that you're nervous about, right? Appreciate Kyra sharing. She's very, very open, very vulnerable last week. But let's say you have a doctor's appointment. You're going to the dermatologist because you're like, look at this. You see this mole? Does that look weird to you? It like changed shape or something. And you're like, I look at it. I'm like, I don't know. Just kind of, you know. And then you remember, you're like, I never used sunscreen as a kid. Anybody else in New Jersey never used sunscreen? It was like, yeah. In fact, when we were teenagers, this is so embarrassing and so bad. Don't email me dermatologist. I remember there were girls in our friend group who would rub baby oil all over their face. And her name is Karen Shannon. And, and what Karen would do is she would take a record album, open it up, her Queen record album, and put tinfoil all over it. And then you'd sit out in the sun to catch the rays. And my friends and I, we would get fried every summer growing up, a fake bake, okay? 
So now you're worried because you're like, uh, uh, this is not good. I know how things go. Your fear frame is overwhelming because you're thinking about the worst possible outcome. You're like, is this melanoma? Is this skin cancer stage four? Well, let's choose a different frame, though, for your appointment. What if we chose, instead of a fear frame, what if we chose a faith frame? God, I thank you for world-class health care. <laughs> I thank you for annual skin screenings, and I'm prepared today in my mind to receive good news from my doctor because you've given me a hope and a future. And you know what, God? Even if you find something, I praise you, Jesus. We're going to catch this early. In fact, Jesus, I trust when I get there, you're going to be holding open the doctor's office door for me. I often envision that. And no matter what happens, you love me, you're with me, and you're for me. That is a very positive, faith-filled frame that lets you walk into that doctor's office with confidence. Because you go in a situation, you tell yourself, no, no, no. Here's what frames my thinking. My God is good, and he's going to help me get through anything. Let, let's say you're nervous because you have to have a hard conversation with a coworker or a friend, and you're like, oh, man, this, they are not going to take this well. And what do you do? Right? In your mind, you're thinking about the blow up, and they're going to flip out, they're going to turn red, and they're going to get all mad, and you psych yourself out. But pre-framing says, no, no, I'm going to pre-frame this encounter with faith. Holy Spirit, I believe, and I ask you, would you give me the words to say, and I pray that they will receive it with a tender heart, because I love my friend, and I believe the best about her. So, Father, would you let my love come through in my words? I'm going to do the right thing, and watch this. I'm going to trust you with the results. The outcome's all yours, Jesus. How do you change your frame of mind? First step, you thank God for what didn't happen. The second step is to practice pre-framing. And the third step, if you're taking notes, is to look for God's goodness. Everyone say goodness. God's goodness in every situation like Paul did. You look for God's goodness because here's the, here's the secret. This is a secret about your mind your mind will always find what it's looking for. If you look for the good, you will find the good. If you look for the bad, <laughs> easy, you will find the bad. If you want to see um, what, what's wrong with the world every single day, oh, come on, you will find it. But if you want to look for God, if you want to actually see faith, if you want to live a positive godly life, you can. It's like the difference between a vulture and a hummingbird. Have you ever thought about that before? Both of these guys are birds, right? You're like, oh man, really? Yeah. Very different approach to what they consume, right? What they feed on. What does a vulture look for in his daily diet? You guys know? Roadkill. <laughs> Every day a vulture flies around looking for what? Dead bodies all over the road. That's what vultures feed on, rotting flesh. What does a hummingbird look for every day? Every day that little hummingbird finds sweet things to feed on. It looks for the brightest flowers where the sweetest nectar is. And here's my question to you. Are you a vulture or a hummingbird in your thoughts? Like if we cracked open your head, are you a vulture or a hummingbird? Do you feed on the rotting carcasses and the news that fill you with anxiety or the sweet things of God? Your mind will always find what's looking for. If you want to focus on what's broken, what's bad, what's wrong with the world, let me tell you, you're going to live a very depressed, negative life. But instead, if you'll look for where God is working and say, no, 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 I'm going to set my minds on things above, not things below, you will actually see that God is still on his throne. Amen? He is still good. Amen? He's still powerful, and he still answers prayer. Amen? You will find the sweetness like I did last Thursday. So I'm driving home from, uh, from church, and uh, it was date night with my wife. So I cut out about 15 minutes early. 
And because uh, we were excited, we had a really busy week, so we, we didn't have a chance to talk. So we we're going to go out to dinner. We we're going to sit by a lake and just catch up. And uh, so I'm driving home and uh, you guys know like when it's the weekend, like it's, you know, 74 degrees out, like you're feeling good. And uh, I had the windows down. I got the radio up. I got my arm out the window and I'm, I'm, cr- I'm cruising down you know, route, or up Route 15. And uh, literally as I'm driving, so I'm, and I'm in the left like that. Yeah, I'm in the left lane and I go over into the shoulder and I literally lean out the driver's window and my front tire blew out. And so I'm riding on the rim now on the side of the highway. And so I literally pull over. And as I open the door, and literally like three inches away, car's going 70 miles an hour. So I have to go out the the passenger side. I go around. I can't even like put my head in because the traffic's whipping by. Too dangerous to change the tire. And so I I called roadside assistance. Like you call your insurance. You're like, hey. And they're like, well, it's too dangerous for us to change it, bro. We're going to have to pay for a tow truck. I was like, all right, bro, it's date night. You got the tow truck. And they're like, okay, no problem. They'll be there in 90 minutes. Yeah, you have that one? My mind, like, instantly went negative. All of a sudden, I'm like, are you, are you, are you kidding me? 90 minutes, the, what a way to start the weekend. Date night, route. this is terrible, horrible, awful. Well, the tow truck arrives and drives me to the store and actually meet a very, very sweet guy, mechanic named Mo. And he's like, we don't have your, your tire right now, but I can get it in the morning. And so, I go in the next morning, and he says, uh, hey, so you're a pastor? I was like, yeah, do I know you? He goes, no, I called your voicemail. I said, you're a pastor. He goes, what kind of church? I was like, oh, it's a, it's a Christian church. Anybody can come. He goes, oh, you're a Christian. He goes, you've ever been to Israel? I was like, oh, yeah, man, I love it. We're, we're, we're going next year. Our church is going. And he said, well, I'm from Jerusalem. He says, my family has actually lived in Jerusalem for over 1,000 years. I go, really, Mo? He goes, Mo is short for Muhammad. He's Muslim. And he began telling me about his life in Israel. I'm like, how did you get to New Jersey? He's like, I married a girl from Queens. You know, it's like coming to America. It's amazing. And he started sharing about Jerusalem and all these details. You got to go here. My uncle owns a shop. I'll connect you with him. And what it was like to grow up Muslim there. And, and we just had this cool connection. We didn't talk about tires, but we just struck up a friendship. And then as I'm paying, at the very end, he says, you know, I'd love to hear about your faith sometime. You follow Jesus, right? So now we're going to grab a coffee. <laughs> So I can tell Mo about Jesus. <laughs> and as I'm processing that this week, I'm starting to realize that if my tire had never blown out on date night, I would never have met Mo in the garage. And so what I first did is I thank God for what didn't happen that night. I didn't get in an accident. Nobody got hurt. And like Paul, I'm reframing it because now I'm like, wait a minute, are you telling me I now have a chance to talk with somebody about Jesus who I never expected to meet? Even in the inconvenience, I can now see the goodness of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what happened to me, that stupid flat tire, has actually served to advance the gospel. Because the tire blew on date night, I met Mo, and now I get to tell my Muslim friend about a Jew from Jerusalem who died to set him free. It's called reframing your life with a gospel frame. It's trusting that God is orchestrating every event for your good and his glory. Amen? Listen to me, don't make the mistake of interpreting God through your circumstances. So many people, they they don't even think, they just go, you know, this is bad, therefore God is bad. You never interpret the goodness of God through your circumstances. Rather, you interpret your circumstances through the goodness of God, amen? And then you will say, even on a bad day, your God is still good and he's still involved, and he still cares, and he's still working, and he still has a plan for your life. Even after this, 
what has happened actually served to advance the gospel because you cannot control what happens, but you can control how you frame it. And I know some of you are sitting here thinking, well, isn't that just positive thinking? No, no. This right here, this is the heart of the gospel. I want you to think about what we're giving our life to. I want you to think about the 12 earliest Christians, the disciples who actually followed Jesus Christ and whose name we're worshiping today. Those 12 disciples were mainly in their teens and 20s, but for three glorious years, guess what? It was the best year of their life. They're like, we are walking alongside our rabbi who we believe is the son of God. We're eating with him. We are witnessing his miracles. Heaven is touching earth. Life is glorious. Until they arrived in Jerusalem, where Jesus was arrested, wait, what? In prison, what? Beaten, yeah, tortured, and then what? Crucified on a cruel Roman cross. You talk about a negative frame. Those guys had to be looking at that on Friday and just shaking their heads. Our Lord gets murdered, our ministry ends, it's the death of all hope. Where is the good in this? Guys, the frame doesn't get darker than the cross. But three days later, <laughs> on Easter morning, God changed their mind. Amen? Peter and John run to the empty tomb. They see grave clothes lying there. They see their Savior risen, glorified, raised in power, defeating death, conquering sin. They had no stinking idea that Jesus' death was the doorway to new life, eternal life for you. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you a brand new frame to see the world. And suddenly they saw the Father's heart all along was to bring salvation through his Son. And from then on, God's love and goodness could never be in doubt after the cross. Guys, that is how you change your frame of mind with a gospel frame. It's by looking to your Savior, Jesus, watch this, who went through hell so he could bring you to heaven, who endured a cross so you could wear a crown of glory one day. Amen? So trust your Father. Let him reframe your situation. Ask God to renew your mind. Say, in the name of Jesus, I am going to... Take captive every thought, and I'm going to make it obedient to my Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray together, church. Father, we ask now, renew and transform our minds with your truth. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you demolish, obliterate, break out of, and totally vanquish strongholds, God, so that we wouldn't just be conformed to the pattern of stinking thinking in this world, but we'd be transformed as your Holy Spirit renews our minds. I thank you, God, for every situation we're facing today. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for the unshakable truth to lodge in their heart that you are with us, you are for us, and that, Jesus, in you we have the victory. In Jesus' name, we declare today, put your hands out, church, we declare the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world, but they have divine power to demolish spiritual strongholds, wrong patterns of thinking, so Holy Spirit, right now, I pray, come into the heart of every man and woman and child. Father, activate your word, living and active, and empower us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to the risen Christ. In Jesus' name, I pray. Everybody who agrees says, A to the men. Let's make some noise. Liquid Church, your God is that good. Stand up, church, wherever you are, stand up as we worship our King. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with a friend. Thanks again for listening.